I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Friday, October 16th, 2020. And it is time, ladies and gentlemen, donks and donkettes, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I am joined by the gentleman on the other side of the screen. He is the Brendan Conlin to my Tommy Reardon. It's the one and only <laughs> Brian Campbell. What's up, BC? Uh, I don't know. Just sitting here wearing all this fat merch, fired up after arguably, Luke, arguably the greatest week in morning combat history. I mean, we are not only giving it to the people with the fist, we're turning it once we get inside. What a time to be alive. What a time to wear MK merch. I'm ready. I'm fired up. Can you feel the things that I'm putting out into the ether sphere? Not really. You also missed the importance of my intro there because if you'll note, Tommy Reardon gets choked out by Brendan Conlon at the end of Warrior, and I gave you the Brendan Conlon role. I feel like that's a very honorable thing for me to do. Yes, and, uh, and, and just like Tommy Reardon, spoiler alert, you definitely, definitely will tap once I, once I get in there. <laughs> one of these days, Luke. One of these days, brother, okay? Although I was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps, I did not desert my unit. Uh, okay, we have a lot to get to on today's show. We're going to give you previews of the weekend, huge weekend in fights. Ortega, Korean Zombie, it's here. Lomachenko, Lopez, it's here. We have to recap last night's Bellator and a couple other bits of news and notes. And we're going to do tip to tip. We're going to do dead wrong. We're going to do a review of Warrior, which was the homework that I fucked up in sending out. But we're going to talk about it nevertheless. First things first, give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. Let's move units, everybody. We need your help to do that. Always appreciate when you do. Of course, if you want some of this sweet merch, you see BC sporting on his cabeza, and I'm wearing some as well, you can go to store.show.com. There you have it. You can get hats, shirts, beanies, tumblers, mugs, condoms, whatever condoms, you need. Whatever the you whole need for a bit. Night, right? The whole bit. You can get everything you need at store.show.com. And, of course, if you'd like to try Showtime and all their wonderful programming, you can go to showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, go pound sand. But, BC, before we get the show started, though, we should let folks know you and I sat down with interim UFC lightweight champion Justin Gaethje. Now, there's a lot to this. I think this interview is going to come out today after the show. We wanted to give you a sneak peek because to say, well, BC, what would you say about it? He was in a mood. Uh, yeah, he was he was in a mood to uh, put his life at risk and not care twice about it, Luke. I love that shit, all right? So ha have a gander at this little sneak preview of the interview. All right, I like the respect that you've shown for him in all of the, the pre-build. You're not, you know, teammates in a sense. You're part of the same management team and Ali Abdelaziz, manager of the stars, uh, Gun to your head. Who's Ali cheering for in this fight? <laughs> Come on, Justin. Yeah. Be honest with me. 
I, I'm here to ruin Ali's day. I'm here to ruin Dana White's day. I'm here to ruin Daniel Cormier's day. I'm here to ruin Javier Mendez's day. I'm here to ruin Khabib Mamagamedov's day. Fuck all those guys. They already got, I don't know what their plan is, but they said they got a plan ahead. I'm going to fuck it up. Uh, they're going to change my nickname from the highlight to 2020. Did you see BC nodding the whole time like Biggie was spitting bars over there on the Brooklyn corner? Did, did he just send the manager of the stars, the president of UFC, uh, one half of uh, Ariel and DC to hell, Luke? I think he just did, right? Yeah, he seemed to have done that. Now, maybe that was just you know, a spur-of-the-moment thing. But I don't know. That seemed to have caught his attention. I, that was, I thought he was going to give, you know, the, the question that you had asked was in, was in somewhat fun spirits. I thought he would play along. No, he went the other, dire- <laughs> he went the, he went the other direction completely. I was like, whoa. So uh, that will be out a little bit later today. And there's it, it that times a thousand. Uh, it's going to be good stuff, so be on the lookout for it. And just um, a quick reminder, uh, you know, we, we, we warned you for weeks that the MK uh, Ultra expansion was coming this week. Not only your your three live shows, not only a failed attempt at a uh, live chat for Luke Thomas and a dissected, but we got interviews that if you haven't caught them already on YouTube, please do. Corey Sanhagen drops by. Joaquin Buckley fresh off the knockout heard around the world. And then, of course, ahead of Saturday's big-time lightweight unification and boxing Teofimo Lopez Jr. and the great Vasily Lomachenko, who, Luke, he may or may not just added himself to a list of great fighters over the last 12 months, which includes Tyson Fury, Mike Perry, Jamal Charlo, Jermel Charlo, to send me to hell on my own damn podcast. What's going on here, Luke? Your, your interview style lends itself to hell sending. It's funny enough, I got sent to hell by John Jones, which was certainly more of a public event. But you consistently get sent to hell way more than I do. Not fair. Not fair. All right. We have a lot to get to, a lot to preview. Without further ado, let's get this party started. Topic number one, this was some of the news and notes. It happened a little bit earlier in the week, but we would be wrong if we did not comment on it, BC. So is Connor fighting Dustin? It seems like he might be. They appear to have agreed to a January 23rd date. How do we know that? Both gentlemen took to social media to say they agreed to the date. And what's kind of interesting was we knew previously, by Connor's own admission, that he wanted to fight in November or December. UFC seems very adamant that they did not want it there. They wanted it for January. We'll talk about that in just a second. His only condition, Connor's, was that, I don't even know if it's a really a, a, a make-or-break condition, but he seemed to have wanted it in... A&T, uh, AT&T Stadium in uh, Arlington, Texas. Okay, BC, do you believe it? Is the fight on? Are we actually going to see a rematch in the first quarter of 2020? Dude, I was as skeptical as anyone as we were sort of talking about this episode by episode in the last two, three weeks. Good God, I feel it now. I believe this is real. And I was a little nervous when, you know, and then back and forth, the public negotiation when Connor said, I'll do it, but it has to be in 2020. Then Dana talked to, I don't know, who was it? Brett talked to somebody and said, we'll do it, but it's got to be January 23rd. To see Connor come right back on Twitter and say, yep, I'm in, let's do it. And then try to take a little bit of that power back, Luke, by saying, call up my good friend Jerry Jones. Let's make it big. Uh, I believe we're going to see it. Not only do I believe we're going to see it. Luke, did that man, Conor McGregor, just say that I'm going to win my February 1st, 2021 COVID bet? Are we going to pack this dome for this, you know, non-title super fight? Because I'm here for this, bro. 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think we're going to pack that dome for that stadium. Now, because of the stadium size with social distancing, they might be able to get a sizable amount in there. But the weird part about the whole thing with the fans is, it's like one. If they do the social distancing thing, it's not going to look full. It's not like you can just pack them all at the inner bowl and leave the rest of it up top empty. You can't do that, number one. Number two, it's like, how much can you really charge people under those circumstances to make up the difference in what you would ordinarily get for, let's say, a packed T-Mobile arena? Can you really defray the costs in the same way? I'm skeptical of that, but neither here nor there. I'll say this. One, do I think it happens? Probably. Do I think it happens in... AT&T Stadium, I do not. Wouldn't rule it out, but I don't think that's the likeliest scenario. Why? Why, Luke? Why? Connor has essentially bent to every demand, and the UFC might want to do it that way, but in the end, there are a lot of... I mean, here's the thing. Do you want to bank on COVID? Because I don't. And what I mean by that is uh, we're getting much better at treating it Uh, It's not nearly as bad as it was in terms of how we understand it relative to March. I think everyone would agree with that. There was a recent article in the New York Times by one of their chief um, health reporters, and this guy was sounding the alarm bells in January about this thing. He has been very uh, sort of down in the dumps about what has happened. And even he put out an article recently saying, you know, there are real reasons for optimism in 2021. And he also doesn't think that the flu season is necessarily going to be all that bad. I'm just pointing out, though, like, look at what's happening in Europe, dude. They're having another outbreak, which I did not see coming. I mean, they're having a worse outbreak per capita than we had over the summer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Maybe it'll be by the time January comes around, things will be better. But do you really want to bank on that for your biggest star? To be like, oh, maybe things will be so under control. We don't have to worry about this, even with social distancing. I just feel like in the end, it's just going to end up at the apex because it's safe, it's reliable, it's known, it's controllable. All the other stuff is just way too many variables. So that's the first thing I'd say. I'd have to guess that we're not going to find out the venue until very late. And I think the the good news is, and the reason why we're not going to find out late is we have, you know, some guinea pigs. And that's, you know, the Halloween night boxing pay-per-view on Showtime when Leo Santa Cruz challenges Gervonta Davis uh, inside of the Alamo Dome uh, coming up. And then we also have that, I believe, December 5th at AT AT&T Stadium PBC pay-per-view on Fox with Danny Garcia and Errol Spence. Those seem to be... uh, you know, testing grounds that when they're going to put what, 10, 15,000, how many people out there? Yeah. I think that'll tell us something. Um, but we know, we, we, we know you can do it. Like, if you want to put fans in there, depending how you do it and how many, it can be done. It's just, does the UFC want to do it where it, like, it looks like a half or even a quarter empty arena? Maybe, maybe they want to do that, but it's kind of funny. Like, UFC was the first to get back in the COVID era in terms of major sports. But they've been the last to introduce fans. I don't think that's an accident. I mean, even Bellator had fans before UFC by going to Paris over the past weekend. Or two, what was it? Two weekends ago, whatever it was at this point. A weekend ago. Um, so I don't know. There's something kind of interesting about that, about the UFC still not 
crossing that threshold. I'm not saying it's not possible, BC. You understand that. It could very well be possible. Sure. It's just, do you want to bet on this fucking disease? It just seems well, like it's such no. a wild card. And I don't know if Connor's out on the idea of uh, a fight island of, of, of the Middle East, but, you know, maybe it has to go there because of the extra money kicked in to, to allow UFC to, you know, make the proper amount they would on a Connor fight. I'm not sure, but the great news, the best news of all, You've got public statements from the two guys who matter, Connor and Poirier. And let's forget about COVID. Let's forget about really bad analysis from Max Kellerman on first Woo! take. Good God, you sent me that clip. Him calling Poirier the old BJJ master. <laughs> forget about that. Let's focus on what matters. This rematch is freaking awesome. Not just in an larger pound for pound sense between two you know top 15 fighters in the world not just in the sense of this deep and loaded division for the title picture but most importantly whether you love him or hate him this is conor mcgregor getting back in line getting back into the system so to speak i know we want he says this is the build-up to manny i don't know i don't care this fight matters whoever wins this is going to have the greatest chance you would think outside of gsp parachuting in to get Habib if he beats Justin Gaethje and maybe Justin Gaethje will send me to hell for just saying uh, that right there but uh, that's the most important part of this look this fight is awesome I mean this is a blockbuster fight title or not I can't wait yeah I mean it's everything that the Cerrone fight wasn't I mean on paper the Cerrone fight was supposed to be something kind of interesting striker versus striker they're not going to cut weight at 170 but in the end we all know what the story was Cerrone came in there just incredibly worn down fifth fight in less than a calendar year against just nothing but buzz saws from beginning to end and yeah he won a couple of them he lost a couple of them heading into it but still my god it was just an, a way too aggressive a schedule and especially to end on that it did not last very long so it was fine for what it was, but it just didn't tell you a whole lot. This will tell you a whole lot. A uh, guy like Dustin Poirier is in his the prime of his career. There's some miles on him, too, but not, not a calamitous amount. Not the kind that thinks, makes you think he can't win this one. You're right. Uh, you know, Kellerman. I like Kellerman a lot. I don't know what the hell he was doing. But oh, I lo- God, I love me some Max Kellerman. Please. He's great. That was he's, awful. great. he's great. He fucked that up royally. But, you know, Dustin is well-rounded. He is capable of surprise. I think that's probably something you could say, although... Chances are it's going to be you know uh, exercised on the feet. I think the only thing I would say, BC, it's it's they do this with Conor McGregor every time. Oh, he's getting all of these carefully selected fights, and he's avoiding this and he's avoiding that. And there was something to be said for it, but they never understood the larger picture, which is yeah, he might be getting just the right matchups at just the right time, but he's eventually going to hit a space where there's no going back, and you're going to have to fight all the buzz saws. There's no choice anymore. Coming back after that long layoff, they gave him something of a, you know, given, g- well. given what condition Cerrone was in, something of a soft landing. But, you know, listen, the arm floaters in the pool are off. The bumpers in the bowling lane, they ain't there anymore. This is straight <laughs> no chase, and I love it. I love it. Final thought on this for me is this, Luke. Uh, I just can't wait to see what happens from this element. You and I both don't believe that Connor has a chance to get in Dustin's head the same way he did a long time ago, which obviously, along with the fact that it was at a smaller weight class and Poirier had a tough cut, that was a big part of it. I felt that he dominated Dustin's brain and sort of set him up for that knockout the same way that Connor did to Eddie Alvarez years later. Um, But with that said... Connor still might have the style that's kryptonite to Dustin, no matter how great Poirier has evolved. And that's going to be really fun to see if that's still the case. Right, exactly. How much of it the first time were mind games and combination of talent differential? With this time, both of them are kind of 
elder statesmen in the sport where they have their own charities and they try to carry themselves a certain way and they're kind of past that whole vinegar and piss part. But, you know, when it comes time to sling the dogs, it's going to be no problem. How much of it actually was just a the guy was just better because of he's better and the style and blah, blah, blah. That, that difference will be great to see. All right. Let's set it up here, BC. This weekend, the UFC is on Fight Island. UFC Fight Island 6, a featherweight main event. And I cannot wait. The Korean zombie is back. Brian Ortega, no hair, is back. He shaved his head prior to today's weigh-ins. Yes, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, he is bald. Let me let me time you out and say, Luke, should we be is that is that a bad sign? Because I can make all the Samson Old Testament jokes I want, but is that a bad sign to see a guy with such beautiful locks almost look like being forced to shave it off to make weight? Wait, did he shave it off because he had to make weight, or was it symbolic? That, that's the online speculation, and the reason why oh. there's speculation is if you look at the pictures of him without the hair on the scale, there's patches which kind of show you that it was maybe a panic move. Maybe. I tend to think it was probably more planned, but I guess we'll have to see. Um, that, yes, to the extent that it was premeditated, it might mean something. But if it was just to get you know, the fight on, I don't know what that means other than, than itself. But okay, the fight is incredibly interesting. We've talked about the major storylines, but when they finally say, are you ready, are you ready, and they square up, what are you expecting? What do you think we will see from these two? What kind of fight will it be you know i i do believe it's going to be all action and not just because that's what korean zombie does but because uh, i'm telling i just feel like brian ortega's in love with his chin and his evolved striking now we're going to find out pretty soon in this fight and i think the strongest advice strategically for ortega especially since he's got to answer the questions of the layoff and the possibility of cage rust and all oh, by the way he's making this two-year return in the middle of a pandemic being dropped into abu dhabi fighting at a weird time i mean there's a lot of elements here but if you told me he's going to commit to the old school plan of jujitsu and i'm not saying it's easy to take korean zombie down and, and have your way with him on the ground look his takedown defense is a big part of his danger and his ability to to keep things on the feet I would like his chances better. Luke, is my fear overblown that because Ortega knows how great his chin is and because, you know, he knows how, how great of a man he is, that he's going he's gonna to go into hell here. And if he goes into hell with a zombie, I, I don't like his chances given the intangibles in this moment. Wait a second. We've got a thing here. Uh, according to Brett Okamoto and then, I guess, reproduced by BT Sport, Ortega is donating his hair to charity supporting children undergoing chemotherapy. So does that make you believe that it was planned or no? Uh, I'm not trying to be cynical, but it doesn't necessarily make me believe it was planned, no. All right. Well, in terms of what you're going to get here, I do believe that like what you're going to see from Brian early, and this is all very speculative, but my hunch is that what you're going to see is a lot of stick and move. I'm going to show you all my new tricks. They're going to keep me safe, probably calf-kicking, getting out of the way, good footwork, good good sort of cage generalship. But eventually, I think Korean Zombie is going to land on him. And the question is what happens when he does, and probably to a degree he will. I mean, one of the things that's always been a problem in his fights, remember, he came back to beat somebody like Clay Guida. Um, he has had to dig himself out of problems a number of times. He gets hit a lot. At least historically, he gets hit a lot. I think he's going to show you a lot of new things that's not the case. But once the fists start flying and landing, does he resort to what he used to be? And a couple of factors stand out for me. Number one, this is partly a function of what Max Holloway did to him. 
so these numbers are not fully representative of the totality of his career, but he lands about four strikes per minute. He absorbs almost eight. You know, that is not great. That is somebody who gets hit way too much. Even if you take the max fight out, the differential would still be probably in the negative or to bare minimum, just too close for comfort. You want somebody to have a two-to-one differential in the positive, not the negative. The other part that stands out to me, BC, is the 16% takedown accuracy. Not great with takedowns. However, the X factor here is, do we think Brian Ortega could pull guard? Yes, I do. I actually really believe that. He's got one of those guards where once he gets to that position, he's good at controlling posture, off-balancing you, setting up attacks to get you to react to what he's doing. He's not laying there and passively waiting for you to punch to then wrap up an overhook and see if the ref will save him. He's attacking, attacking, or sweeping, or off-balancing, just doing something so you can't get going. As good as Korean Zombies passing and ground and pound is, somebody like Ortega, you think in theory has the ability to neutralize some of that. So I'm going to be paying attention to the defensive footwork, the defensive sensibilities early. Does he get baited if he gets tagged? And then to what extent does he pull guard? Because I don't think he's going to be able to take down the Korean zombie. Uh, I really want to... um, I know you hate predictions and picks, and nobody really knows, obviously, Luke. You think the weatherman knows? You know what I'm saying? You don't need a weatherman to tell you which way the wind blows. It's a little bit bit different than picking the weather, but okay. All right. Uh, if I was a betting man, I'm staring clear of Ortega in this fight. I just think there's too many variables against him, and we can add the the hair and maybe the, the weight cut with that without really knowing, obviously. We, you never really know what's going on. But the two years off, going into a potential five-round fight with an absolute savage... Um, I like, you know, looking back at, at, at Zombie's recent run, we've talked about it before, four fights since coming back from the military leave. Uh, he was winning that Yair fight until the, literally the last second. He's 3-1, and one, but he has rolled through people. He's incredibly confident. He's evolved his game. And, uh, again, I just have those fears that you get Ortega into some shit, and he's going to start... He's going to start becoming the the Ortega from L.A., you know what I mean? And we're going to have a war, and this is going to be Zombie's fight. Zombie might shred this guy. He might do it. And I think yeah. Brian Ortega's a beautiful man with the hair. I'd love to hear what happened on the set with Halle, Halle Berry, maybe him and I one day on a on an After Hours podcast. But uh, I'm going big on the TKZ right here, and you can do with that information what you please, Luke, okay? Yeah, I Thank mean, predictions, predictions are for suckers, but it, it it's just hard to— Really? It's not hard to pick Ortega. It's just I don't know what the hell we're going to get. Two years away from the game, and not just that, two years away after a hellacious beating and then injuries. Part of the reason why it took two years to get back was because he got injured along the way. Now, not to the extent that it's utterly debilitating, but enough where he just couldn't ever get going again. So I'm sure he's added skills. I'm sure he's fully recovered, and I expect him to perform up to a very reasonable level and potentially even win. I don't I don't think that that's crazy at all. It's just dude, Korean Zombie is I mean, what he did to Edgar. I mean, they have they have similar opponents as good as Ortega did against Edgar. I would say Zombie did better. Number 1. Uh although that one uppercut from Ortega lifting Edgar off of his feet was just magic. Okay, that's pretty good. But the other part is they fought Moicano and you know, Moicano gave Ortega everything he could handle. Ortega, Moicano could do nothing to the Koreans. Send him to another weight class is what he did. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. His boxing is so crisp. His power is legit. His fight IQ is just, I mean, he's been transformed. So for those reasons, I think momentum is real. I'm going to side with him. But 
Um, I, you know, listen, Brian Ortega back in the mix at featherweight is not a problem. It's no, a that's great, great thing to have. I got one question for you. Dana said the winner of this fight will will get a title shot, and I and I agree with that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I really am. Do you think Volkanovski fights again before fighting the winner of this? And who would that be? Am I missing somebody off the top of my head? Mm. I don't know who that would be. It would have to be. It's not it going to be Max. To be one of the. Uh, are we going to do that shit again? Really? We're going to no, make a guy no, win three do, times. We're not going to do that shit. No, I'm not here for that. Yeah. I'm Even though I thought Max won won. Uh, well, he won the second one. Luke. I, yeah. Yeah. I understand, but you just can't do that to a guy. Not not right away, anyway. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But I suspect the winner of this will fight uh, Volkanovski next. All right, so now we go to the big boxing fight of the weekend. Uh, excuse me, we'll do it in a second. I'm wrong. We'll do Bellator here, and then we'll end on the boxing here uh, for our big topics. Uh, Bellator 249 last night, Mohegan Sun. Uh, what do you want to say, BC? We had Chris Cyborg against Arlene Blen- uh, Blenko. Kind of ugly in the end. I mean, that was she was a minus twelve hundred favorite. Cyborg was, and I'm I'm honestly wondering if those odds were conservative. Blenko looked to be in tr- tremendous physical condition relative to previous physique she had shown up with, even in this weight class. She was ready for the opportunity from a physically uh, training standpoint, but from a skill standpoint, holy smokes, she was totally overmatched. BC, what's your major takeaway from it? Yeah, uh, so here's the deal. Like the the the, bet, the betting oddsmen were proven right in this regard, but I still think we saw a very impressive performance from Chris Cyborg from this aspect. Not just that it's amazingly the first submission win of her legendary 15 year career, but Luke, you know, it's something you talk about in the build to this. I had noticed this in Cyborg and in throughout her UFC run. She's a lot more patient, certainly than the old school strike force days of just throw herself into traffic and, and land big shots on you. But even deeper than the efficiency that she's showing with age at 35 to see how great she was on the ground with her wrestling, with her takedowns, with her work in the standing clinch and the ease in which she would transition to full mount. Now, look, I mean, Arlene Blanco is a former pro boxer. Her calling card is her ability to throw hands. I'm not saying she, you know, Cyborg's in there with next level world class, but I'm seeing a Cyborg who is in incredible shape, not, not stopping her hard work and her evolution. We look a storyline that will keep coming up each time she fights because she's going to be so heavily favored is when is she going to show up old, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure it's going to happen anytime soon. And I think that's the greatest victory that cyborg had on Thursday night was that we're seeing wrestling. We're seeing Jujuts from her. We're seeing everything. She's, she's a legend. She's great. I wish we did get the Amanda Nunes rematch. I'm not really sure who Bellator can really give her. Now, Julia, but I would be down for a rematch. She had been the champion for a long time. She comes back with a big win, maybe against Kat Zingano, who which they were talking about. I'd be fine with that. But even though there was an argument from the cyborg Coker side ahead of this fight that Bellator might actually have the deepest 145 division in the world, which... You got to put a little asterisk there because there's not many actual 145 divisions in this world. The UFC is putting out mostly blown up bantamweights. Um, I just don't know who Cyborg's going to get competition from. And maybe this is what leads her to some one-offs in boxing. But absolutely dominant. Shout out to her. And hey, Arlene Blanco. A little bit sneaky. A little bit sneaky. Sorry. I had to say it. It's Friday. We can say stuff like that. A little bit sneaky, Luke. Right. Yep, you got to sexualize all of the people that we cover for a living. That's fun. Well, I, I mean, I, I can't really add much to what you're saying other than the only thing I would add is, you're, the, and I don't want it to get lost, it's not like Cyborg from her own personal preparation standpoint 
is taking her foot off the gas. She's still coming in in tremendous condition. You know, submitting Arlene Blinko, I'm sure that's something she probably could have done a few years ago, so I don't know how much it says about the growth of her game. But she's at least trying new things. She does train with Cobrinha and Andre Galvan, which is like, you know, two titans of the jiu-jitsu world, which I think that stands, it tells you about her commitment to her craft. And as long as she's doing that and she's staying in reasonably good condition physically, which obviously she is, this is a spot she should occupy for a long time. The only thing that kills me is like, dude, media, I know you're there and everyone wants to ask about Amanda Nunes. In what fucking universe is that fight going to happen? Because it's not the one that we live in. Now, maybe you believe in the multiverse and there's another universe where these guys will be willing to co-promote. And Scott Coker is, of course, but you know, Dana White famously will never co-promote, never has, never will. So why are we bothering with this idea that like the Amanda Nunes fight is something we can will into existence. It's like a more professionalized version of that online thing where people were rallying for Mark Hunt about seven or eight years ago, which also ended up doing jack shit. Please stop. It's not a thing that can happen. The boxing thing literally can because when she signed with Bellator, they put a carve out in her career that would allow her to do that. That is literally far more likely than anything related to Amanda Nunes. So please, media, will you stop Stop wasting everyone's time? Thank you. Thank you in advance. Uh, are you in on um, our friend Scott Coker's you know, hard stance that there is no argument? I know he says this maybe for marketing purposes, but he believes Cyborg's the greatest women's fighter of all time, and a, a quick loss to Amanda Nunes in his mind didn't change that. Maybe there's a debate there. Are you, do you have any thoughts on that debate? Is there a debate there, B.C.? Is that, okay, is that there's not a me? debate. So thank you. I love you, Scott Cover. There's not a debate. All right, thank you. Yeah, right, there's. I mean, she for it. I mean, I'll say this for Cyborg, which is I think gets lost a little bit. The longevity of her run is extraordinary. I mean, on national TV as a pioneer, right, fighting Gina Carano, and here we are in 2020, more than what 10 plus years later, whatever it is. And she's still out here just bodying these fools. I mean, that is remarkable. She's not number one, but how do I explain this? She's number two, and number three is so distant. It's not even remotely Look, we never bring members of our family on the show, but Reggie Jackson just opened my office door (laughs) that was locked, and and he's yelling. So shout out to Reggie Jackson there. All right. (laughs) Hey, look at Reggie. Why, Why doesn't Reggie have a collar, you fucking ape? Dude, he's an indoor cat. What do you? What, what, what do you? This isn't. This ain't. D, this ain't the hard streets of DC. All right, he's fine. Leave him alone. Uh, Luke, got, um, you, we got we got BC, the finger painting gorilla, and his favorite cat. Uh, tough break on Patricky uh, Pitbull. Uh, he had I don't know some ear issue. He got pulled from he the whole main. He had, dude, he had labyrinthitis. I'd never even yeah. heard of that shit. Tough break on Sada Wad's ball bag. It wouldn't be a Bellator card unless somebody gets kicked in the dick there. But uh, um, I, I, I do want to shout out a couple things on Bellator. You know, we know that October 29th card is going to be a banger when you're going to get Musasi. Hold on. I'll pitch her right, right back to you. But Leandro Ego getting a great win over Ricky Bandejas. He looked awesome. Oh, shout out. To, that was good. That was a sneaky good fight on paper. And he very dominated. Good. Dude, he made Bandejas look like CM Punk on the ground. I was very shocked by that. And Tough break the, oh, for Bandejas last... who, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the only thing I'd say, BC, sorry to cut you off, is you know we talk about what's the best division in UFC, 135 or 155, and you can have a debate. Dude, the 135-pound division in Bellator is easily their best division, and for no small part to guys like Leandro Ego. That's it. That's all I have to say. And, and you know, this is where I'm going to give Bellator legit credit. Um, 
you know, it's one thing to sign the old names that, that you know from UFC to get attention. They are building from the bottom up the right way. I mean, they just signed Magomed, Magomedov, who, you know, his claim to fame was that he fought Peter Jan twice and he's the only guy to beat him. And that fight was an absolute war. Uh, shout out to Kaposa for turning me on to that and showing me some incredible videos and gifts there on the interwebs. But, uh, you know, that's just another name you're adding to the depth of what we have here. So uh, I love what they're doing in those divisions. I love the announcement, right, that the Featherweight Grand Prix will continue on two separate cards in November. Obviously, as I was mentioning, that October 29th card with Musasi and Lima is, you know, just about as good as it gets in all of MMA for that main event. Something you said last night on CBS Sports HQ. Shout out to the family there. But uh, did you see that tweet from Fabricio Verdum? He put out Mm -hmm. a picture of him and Fedor basically kind of saying without saying that that rematch is going to happen. Would you get the feels for that if Bellator trotted them out? Honestly, Fedor and Verdum are sort of at the same uber late stage portions of their careers. There actually is a little bit of symmetry there. So for that reason, I would not mind it, I guess. What about you? Uh, it's old guy slop. Give it, just give it to me. Uh, you know what I mean? You could bring a boomerang. <laughs> why did, why did I even I bother? Care. Why did I even bother asking? That's hilarious. I want to see it. I want to see it. It'll be gross. Yeah, I want to see it though. Okay, let's do it, please. I'm not done uh, with Fedor, but I'm, I'm also, I don't want to see Fedor against Bador either, right? I'm sorry. Was it Bader, Fedor, or Fedor, Bador? I always get that confused. Kind of like, I can't say air hair. Is it ear here? Air hair? Coco, the finger-painting gorilla. Why are you derailing the show? By the way, one last note here on the prelim card. I was like, oh, pay attention to Kyle Crutchmer, this international class wrestler and from uh, Oklahoma State. He lost to this dude, Cameron Lachanov. Lachanov, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. He was literally getting punched in the face by Crutchmer and then screaming at him. That's all you have. It actually ended up on the Instagram account for Sports Center and this dude Lakanov, Lachanov, whatever it is, he might be pretty good. He's ten and two at 170 yeah. pounds. Dude, beating Cut Crutchmer is no small feat. I was like, okay, all right, you got my attention with that. And we're gonna find out on Monday if you have seen that shit. We're also gonna find out on Monday from Thursday night's card. My guy, right? Aviv uh, Ghazali, is that his name? The 19 year old from Israel. Another spectacular submission 4-0 and in, in Belter, even though you no-sell the shit out of this guy every time I bring up his name. Hey, Aviv, I'm here for you, bro, okay? Let's do that shit. I just no-sell the apartheid state of Israel. That's what I'd no-sell. Oh, uh, could okay. you separate? Could you separate, please? <laughs> please, could you separate? Can I? I mean, the dude comes out with, like, the Israeli flag and everything, and it's on his shorts. It's like, it's like I'll separate it when you separate it. But, okay, if you don't, then I'm going to call it what it is. It's an apartheid state. Okay. Uh, last but not least, BC, we have a there major there war crimes in Doha these days. Come on. Oh yeah. But everyone says that. I mean, you know, Middle East is full of just absolute, you know, uh, total, uh, dictatorships left and right, but no one, no one has any trouble noting that uh, it's not, you know, there's a bit of a or difference. World there. Okay. Cup, world cup crimes too. Yes. A lot of corruption. Oh, you can't do the, the world cup cannot be watched in 2022. The amount of slave labor that was. Uh, put to use to make those stadiums usable is a complete crime against humanity, and I mean that sincerely. All right, the Middle East is fucked up. All right, so let's move on to this last topic of our big four. Vasily Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez. It is finally here, BC. I was looking around at various folks' previews to see what they'd say. BC, now, I try to be as educated on the fight science as I can be. I will, I'm a student now. 
I will be a student forever. I will never be an expert. I am not an expert, but I try to at least be literate on matters as best I can. And everyone I've seen who appears to be more literate than me says Lomachenko is going to wipe the floor with him. Now, would that be a surprise given everything we've seen from Lomachenko against other fighters? Less so at 135, but in general, no, it would not. However, I have to tell you, I don't see that. Lomachenko winning, I think, is the right call. Winning with this kind of, you know, overwhelming ease. Why why do people say this? What, what What am I seeing that a lot of other folks are not seeing when it comes to Teofimo Lopez? In terms of his chances in this fight? In terms of, like, why is it when I look at this guy, I see somebody who is skilled, who makes quick reads, who is big for the weight class, who is heavy-handed, who is athletic, who has total self-belief. And, yes, is he as skilled as Lomachenko? I don't think that he is. And in the end, maybe skills win fights. They tend to be that case. But the, the idea that Lomachenko is just going to walk over him, I will say I'll be surprised if that happens. I can't wait for this fight, and the reason ultimately is that great unknown that you said. I mean, they both have 15 pro fights, but it couldn't be more different in terms of the experience level. Like, Lomachenko won two gold medals in the Olympics and had this long amateur career and then started fighting world-class opposition in, like, his pro debut, fought for titles in his second and third fight. You know, he's won titles in three divisions and 15 pro fights and has fought nothing but killers. Uh, Teo's got 15 pro fights. Luke, and he's got, you know... Maybe two world-class opponents. You know, he beat Diego Magdaleno, and then he in December he moved up to face Richard Comey for that IBF belt and destroyed him in a round and a half. And it's what we don't know about Lopez that ultimately makes this, which is what I've called kind of a pseudo 50-50 fight. Now, again, it's not a 50-50 fight on the betting odds. It's not a 50-50 fight to the fans you in the experts you just mentioned who are like, oh, come on, hell no. Loma's going to teach this guy a lesson. But it's 50-50 on the stance that I really don't think you can be confident either way in picking this fight because of one important thing. Now, when this fight was first talked about, it was before Lopez had went up and done that to Kome. It was when he struggled a bit with Nakatani and that decision win. But again, there were a lot of factors behind the scenes in terms of family drama that contributed to that. Uh, when they first announced that this fight was thought about, I'm like, no, come on. Lopez is, you know, he's 22 at the time. He doesn't have the pro experience. This may be a Fernando Vargas situation all over again. Vargas, you know, was uh, incredible at 21, 22. Then at age 23, he moved up and fought Tito Trinidad, took an absolute beating in one of the best fights of this century. Two fights later, same thing happened against De La Hoya. And really, Vargas, despite being a big name, never really fulfilled his full potential here. But the more you look at what Lopez actually does and what actually makes him dangerous, I'm telling you, that is the potential kryptonite on how someone is going to give Lomachenko a problem. I said it before in the buildup to this fight on Morning Combat. Lomachenko is so uh, abstract in his game plan that traditional boxers just can't figure him out. The footwork's off the charts, the angles, all that stuff. But he's never fought a guy who is the same in his own way, in his own style. Lopez doesn't follow traditional patterns. He doesn't come in with a regular jab and a right over the top. He does leaping Roy Jones shit, stuff that you can't do unless you're a freak athlete, unless you have the power to make it count, and unless you have a ball bag the size of the Lopez family, which I'm telling you, the more you look at this father and son trainer team, you can't figure out if they're just crazy as shit and they're over their head and they're going to drown, 
or if maybe they know something. I think there is something to what you said, Luke, about the 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 confidence and courage here. Lopez doesn't know in some ways that you're not supposed to do this at 23 and come in and be this confident and believe you're going to knock out Lomachenko. And that may be the thing that helps him find success. Is it most likely that Lomachenko is just going to give him problems all night and that 12-round bell is going to get hit and it's going to be 10 rounds to two for Loma? Maybe. But the first three, four rounds here, Luke, it's going to be high-volume theater, high-level theater here because... I don't care how great Loma is, and he's spectacular. He can't prepare in the gym for a guy like this, a guy so unorthodox, a guy so young, athletic, strong, and ballsy. That's the key to this fight. And when I watch the Teofimo tape like you, I just come away going, dude, there's something here that is just different and special. So I can't wait, most importantly, Luke, for, you know, obviously early in the fight, but really the first six rounds. Lopez will retain the one-punch chance throughout the whole fight, right? He'll never really be out of it. But the later this fight gets, when you consider his age, his lack of experience at this level, it's more likely that Lomachenko is just going to set traps, frustrate him, and that, like I said, that 12-round distance is going to show up sooner than later. I need to see, within the first four rounds, basically, if Lopez can make adjustments and if he can land something of substance to make Lomachenko realize, I can't be the full wizard here because this guy's a little bit too dangerous. That, Luke, is when the real fight will start. If, you, if you're if you a Loma guy and you're saying, BC, you're crazy, you got a hard-on for this kid, bro, watch the tape, okay? We're going to find out. That's why we love to see these fights because we don't freaking know. I don't know how great Lopez can be. I'm not even sure he does. But that unknown is what makes it, brother. Nobody has the potential to do to Lomachenko what Lopez has the chance on Saturday night. And that's why I'm fired the hell up. So I was looking up ahead of time for prep for today's show. I was looking up what were boxing experts, insiders, media, whoever, what were they saying prior to the last fight that Lopez had, which was against Richard Comey, as you indicated, and the odds had it, as we, we talked about, I think, on last Wednesday's show, the odds had it at roughly a pick em. So the odds makers knew that it was going to be close. But gun-to-the-head scenario, Lomachenko thought Comey was going to win. He said so outright. Numerous, and I do mean numerous. In fact, the vast majority of media that I saw had picked Comey. And then the, way they, the reason why they picked Comey was, one, that he was going to be able to drag it out and make it sort of a more of a, a technical boxing match over the course of the distance and that he had looked better in his recent fights. Now, you're right. The Nakatani fight um, was not the best showcase of Lopez. He is still trying to figure everything out. However, I don't do predictions for this reason. I'm not bagging on everybody who gets predictions wrong because, hello, I've gotten some whoppers wrong before. That's why they're that hard to do. But it does serve my theory, BC, that people see something in Lopez missing that I don't. When I watch Lopez... Dude, he does not move like other boxers. Neither does Lomachenko for that reason. And I'm not saying they move identically. But the, sometimes, BC, you, you know this. And this is a little bit subjective. It's not science. Sometimes you watch a fighter, MMA, whatever, and they jump off the screen and you immediately get latched onto them because they don't do things commonly the way other ones do. You can just tell right away something is different with them. When Khabib was making his way through the division, you were like, dude, he's... 
doing this in a way that people don't. Or pick anybody else. John Jones, when he was throwing Stefan Bonner and then bludgeoning and breaking the face of Brandon Vera and then making short work of Matt Yushchenko, you were like, holy shit, man. This guy, like, what is happening here? Dude, Lopez jumps off the screen like that to me. To me. And that's not science. That's subjectivity. But when I see this kid, I'm like, dude, I don't know why everyone is committed to this idea that because he is young and unrefined, he is not that great. He is not the put-together package that Lomachenko is. But what he has, great decision-making, excellent athleticism, huge power, and a willingness to rise and an ability to rise to the challenge. For folks who may not know what happened in his last fight when the boxing world thought Comey was going to beat him, Lopez knocked his ass out inside of two. And with one punch, by the way. That was it. That's what this kid can do. Everyone says he's okay, and then he goes in there and lands a thunderous shot over someone people thought was going to be able to be the better boxer. I am telling you now, man, listen, Lomachenko is as special as advertised. Take him seriously, and whatever else that Lopez and his father say, I know they take him seriously. He probably should win because he is the more developed product. Lopez, I think, is going to turn some heads, and one of those might be Lomachenko's on Saturday night. And, wow, well said there. And we wouldn't be this uh, confident about Lopez's potential chances, Luke, if Lomachenko wasn't admittedly, even from himself, at a weight class that's above his optimum level, right? Like, he could still be fighting at 126 right. if everybody was willing to fight him. He said yesterday that 130 probably would be his best weight. He also said, I don't think I can ever go above 135. And again, of his four fights there, he is 4-0, and got dropped by uh, Linares. Pedraza and Luke Campbell had moments. Those guys are not the punchers Lopez is. They're not as brash or brave in either. So that's a threat, but it's all going to come down to how good of a boxer is Lopez really? He told me in that interview on Morning Combat this week that, you know, that unknown, um, he knows what he's got in the tank. He knows he can buy. He doesn't have to show it. And that's the thing. And while the Nakatani fight, I say throw it out because you have to understand if you know the family's backstory, the dad and trainer is batshit crazy, straight up. I mean, there's actually a top rank produced <laughs> who's, pre-fight who's, documentary who, wait, video. Who's, who's oh. crazier, uh, Lopez Senior or uh, Angel Garcia? Yeah, it's pretty close, but I'm actually going to go <laughs> Lopez Senior in this regard. There's actually wow. top ranks got a blood, sweat, and tears pre-fight documentary series out there on YouTube. And the second episode has this weird stretch where Lopez talks about him and his dad had a falling out recently. And, and Lopez is crying saying, you know, he used to be my hero. Now I'm realizing I have to look up to myself. I mean, look, there's some ish going on there. And ahead of that Nakatani fight, like to, to be full disclosure, uh, Lopez got married. His family hates his wife. They were like all fighting in the locker room and on the way to the ring as he's walking to the fight. He was more worried in the ring that night that his wife was going to be okay against his own family members. Okay, is that an excuse at the end of the day? Well, if he had lost, you could say it was. But he did right the ship late against Nakatani. It wasn't inspiring. It wasn't exciting. He figured out how to win with his jab. We hadn't seen that out of him. It was not a great performance, but he avoided the, the Titanic, basically, in that moment. He's going to have to show us that he can box if he does not tag Lomachenko early. But... um. Yeah, this is everything I want. Luke, I want to predict Lopez will do it. But, you know, the deeper you get into this, the more you watch the interviews, the more you try to play the head games, the more you watch the tape. Good God, Lomachenko is everything. I mean, he really is. He didn't want to talk to me, Luke, about whether this is his era or if he's the pound-for-pound pound king. And look, rightfully so. It's fine, okay? He just wants to get in there and fight. But he's a gorgeous, beautiful artist. 
The bet is that he wins by decision. Gun to my head, he wins by decision. But man, can I not wait to see what Lopez can do. I I am too much of a total puss to pick Lopez. I really am. Uh, and also, I have too much respect for Lomachenko and what he has shown across weight. Lomachenko has shown you, like, shown you actually in a fight, he has shown you a more complete upside. Right? There's a, if you're banking on Lopez, you are being much more speculative, and I think that is the difference. You're like, well, I've not seen it, but I think it's there. With Lomachenko, you know it's there, and that, I think, is creating this gap. I, I just hope folks understand that a lot of this talk about Lopez, I've seen a consistent. They did it with, dude, it's something interesting. It's like these greats that come up, and, and Lopez hasn't done the same as Adesanya. The, the comparisons are not fair, and I, and I hate to cross sports too, but I know our audience would more readily understand an MMA comparison. But it's like when Adesanya was coming up, it's like he ain't shit against Vittori. He ain't shit against, you know, Brad Tavares. He ain't shit against Brunson. He ain't sh-. And it's like he's never anything all the way up through one of the most incredible UFC runs ever. It's like, it's like at what point yeah. is he something? Lopez is not that far along in his journey. This would be a major, the most major step. But I got to tell you, BC, I cannot wait. And by the way, for the, for the folks who are watching us, the show right now, the main event for the UFC should air at a different time than the main yeah, event. Yeah, we're getting for lucky here. Lopez. We're getting lucky here that ESPN is broadcasting both. So it looks like a 7 p.m. Eastern start time for the UFC main card, Luke, and that should end in time for you know the 10 p.m. Eastern start time of the boxing main card. Uh, I think the Lomachenko fight is the fourth fight on that main card, so that'll probably go you know closer to midnight. But uh, fired up a lot of our listeners and, and viewers astutely made this comparison, Luke. That Lomachenko Lopez is not too far off from Canelo Mayweather. Canelo was also 23 in that fight. As we remember, though, he fought a horrible game plan. He tried to outbox the greatest boxer of this era and never once really put his foot on the gas and tried to make it a fight. I do believe that should Lopez find himself down, you know, seven rounds to one, he's going to go for it because that's what you're going to have to do in that situation. Yeah, and then last thing I'd say is, you know, I'll give credit where it's due. ESPN is putting on Lomachenko and Lopez... Uh, essentially for, for free or you know through a cable subscription uh, with their ESPN television channel. There's no pay-per-view for this, nothing. Just turn on your TV if you've got cable or YouTube TV or whatever. It's right there. And then on ESPN Plus, we're going to get Ortega and Korean Zombie. they got two great main events across two platforms on the same weekend. You know, this is why when people are like, what did Scott Van Pelt say about you know, blah, 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 knockout. It's like, who gives a shit? Look at what they're doing. If you're a fight fan, I'll say it again, never been a better time to be a fight fan in the history of the universe. Enjoy what we have. Thank you, uh, future right, Disney be... employee Luke Thomas right there. All right, yeah, okay. Doubt, this is the same I, I company that. That, that didn't recognize this guy. They don't want to pay this guy. They don't want to help my kid into travel soccer, all right? Hey, Disney's got issues with communist China, too. All right, well, well enough of that nonsense. BC, you and I, we're idiots. We get things wrong all the time. Uh, Take it away, sir. It's time to pay the piper. Yeah, it is time to pay up and, uh, and, and, and yeah, face the music here. We call it dead wrong. Let's go through the things that we missed this week. Luke, uh, the first person to auction off their corner spot in UFC history apparently isn't Mike Perry. Yes, we have to give the credit to the recent idea, apparently, to the podcast of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Josh Thompson, was it? The podcast? Anyway, yeah, weighing in. Thank you, weighing in. Great podcast. Evan Tanner apparently was the first one to actually auction off his corner. The for, the late former UFC middleweight champ, right? Yeah. Uh, when did he do that? What's the story there? 
Well, here's the wording from an old article that our, our crack research team. Additionally, Tanner has a special package. Wow. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Available once per fight he, for he's an individual. He's dead, BC. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh once per fight for an individual sponsor who essentially becomes a cornerman for tanner the sponsor will accompany tanner to the weigh-ins mm. the day before the event and on fight night he or she will be in the dressing room and accompany him to the octagon so basically what tanner was auctioning off was somebody to be a human billboard right that's interesting or always remember this you have to get a cornerman's license now if latori gonzalez can get one without a combative background I suppose that they are not so scrutinizing with it in terms of what your preparation is to be in that role with the specific occupational skills. But I did not, honestly, sometimes on, on we do dead wrong and I'm like, oh, I should have known better or I did know better and I just messed it up. I did not know this. I did not know that Evan Tanner did this. Or if I did, I completely forgot. So, okay, you got us. You got us good with that one. Luke, are you okay with... Um very pregnant coach Latori entering into COVID bubbles to uh, be the, there for her the, man. It's the second time I think you've asked me this, um, which is a very weird obsession of yours. So why don't we leave it alone? All right, yeah, I don't, I don't need Mike Perry offering to kill you as well. All right, our second dead wrong of the week, Luke. Maybe the third will be me if I keep bringing up Mike Perry's name. Luke, on our Monday show, you said at uh, apparently the 11.15 a.m. mark that Marlon Marais was a former, I guess people think you were alluding to former UFC champion, and you got I think, lit. I think I, said, I think I said UFC champion, yeah. Luke, you got lit the hell up in the comments. People coming for your soul. People were like, Elian Gonzalez's father, we're coming for you, bro, okay? Shout out to that Hispanic man. Luke, uh, could you uh, do your mea culpa here? You meant World Series yeah. of Fighting, correct? Well, you know what? No, I even, well, that I knew. That part I'll say for sure. Here's what I, I just completely forgot. I somehow in my mind had it that Marlon was the champion when Cejudo beat him. But, of course, that's not the case. They were competing for a vacant, vacant. title. Yes. That was the reality. So everyone knew he was the World Series of Fighting Champion. He had that belt forever. But uh, I botched it. I compl for, uh, my brain just did not work appropriately that time. So you know what? Mia culpa. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged, sir. All right. All right. Uh, so our producers, have, I don't think this is dead wrong. Our producers have given us a note here. This sounds dead right to me. They're saying Brendan Schaub actually. Oh, I know. I know what the issue. I know what the. I know what the issue is here. But go ahead. Yeah, Brendan Schaub actually did give Corey Sanhagen his nickname of the Sandman on the below the belt. Oh, so it was in uh, uh, Food Truck Diaries. Is this what that's right? Here? That's what you got wrong. You said it was Food Truck Diaries. It was gotcha. not. It was below the belt. That was. The I issue. thought they but were sharing Brendan a piece of meat there or something. But uh, when breaking, he, we made a post. Then Corey reposted it, changed his IG handle, and made it his nickname. Well done, Big Brown. Sorry, your guy Big Beige got it wrong. Luke, I did want to give you the double shout out. Your interview with Corey Sanhagen this week on the MK YouTube page. Very, very intellectual and well done. I mean, that's what you bring to the table. I almost think you're so good at your job breaking down people's style, Luke, that eventually they're going to turn on you and send you to hell for exposing them. Uh, no, but you know what's happened recently is I've actually had fighters and coaches ask me to do it for them. That has Ooh, happened, which I'm pretty excited little about. side work here. A little side work action. I like no, that. No, I haven't all done right. it. I haven't done it, but uh, I, was, I was shocked by that. I was like, holy shit. Okay, all right. It's, but now it's happened like a dozen times, so you know what? All right, let's Suck it, bitch. Yes. Yeah, 
So yeah, suck the horn. Here we go. Let's move on. Uh, our dead wrong from last week was me admitting that I got it wrong. It wasn't Bazooka Joe as the Bellator season one guy. It was Jason Chambers. But you said, "Hey, Jason Chambers did the yeah. Human Weapon with Jimmy Smith." That's dead wrong, a hole. Jason Chambers did Human Weapon with Bill Duff. Jimmy Smith did Fight Quest with Doug Anderson. A That's much right. better, more hardcore show, according to whoever wrote this. Uh, and apparently the two shows are confused and were filmed around the same time, the producer notes say. Uh, Jimmy and Jason had an MMA match before both shows started filming, and Jimmy won by submission. Jimmy's a, Jimmy's a beast. Jimmy's a beast. Yeah, hey, you know Jimmy what? I fucked that a, up. Jimmy was one of the early color commentators on American Ninja Warrior one season. You remember that? Wait, what? Is that true? That is true. Now they have the tried and true team of Matt Eisman, the white guy, and then the ex NFL guy, Kabaja Akbila, Akbar Kabaja Gamila. You know that guy? Well, I've inter- I interviewed him for uh, Super Bowl Radio last year. He's nice I guy. love those guys. I love that show. My kids love that show. My family does. But um, yes, J- Jimmy Smith was like season two, I think, or something. He was the, the uh, you know, the. The ooh and ah color commentator guy. Yeah. That so, is uh, crazy. I had no idea. That's amazing. Well, you know what? I fucked that one up too. But, they, you know, to my, in my defense, they were very similar shows. I mean, I could tell you the differences if they were airing at the time, and I remember thinking about some of the differences. But in retrospect, could you tell me the difference between Fight Quest and Human Weapon in great detail? And also, I who know. the fuck is Doug Anderson? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And who's Bill Duff? I don't know who these motherfuckers are. <laughs> Duff Bear? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, shout well, out I like how Smith. all the dead wrongs were about me. I mean, one of them no, was I about got a couple. A co- I got a couple here. They're okay, not on okay, the list. Okay, I got okay. a couple. All right. Well, all right, we are collectively dead wrong. Oh, but first of all, Jimmy Smith replaced you, true or false, on Sirius XM. Uh, yes, but I'm the one who got him hired. So no, I'm not saying a, this in a negative sense. I'm saying like I haven't he- I haven't heard the show since he replaced you. Is he doing well? I, lo- I love Jimmy Smith. He I is doing that. extremely well. He is he is, you know, what happened to him with his commentary is a crime. And when he lost that yes. job, I called him right away and I was like, "We got a job for you here." And he kind of played the role of like temp dude. You know, I wasn't happy to leave SiriusXM, but what made me happy to leave it in that sense was I knew. They were going to be in good hands. He is fucking killing it over there because he's super right, smart Jimmy. and super good at that job. All right. We had a debate on Wednesday, Monday show, excuse me, Luke, about Joaquin Buckley's knockout. Where did it fit in the greatest knockouts in MMA history? You and I started sharing our favorites. We compare and contrasted. The people lost their shit that we didn't bring up the following knockouts in that discussion. So I'll tell you, we were dead wrong. Ben Askren, Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping. Yeah, and here's the one that I regret not adding there. Yair Rodriguez, Korean Zombie. I think of those three, Luke, I give Yair's one the best chance at competing for that number one spot. By the way, my daughter is hammering the door. Can you hear it? Oh, I thought that was Reggie Jackson, the cat. All right, all right. <laughs> that is not Reggie Jackson. That is my daughter. She keeps doing this. So I'm going to bring her on the air because that is crazy, but okay. Hey, it's a uh, you know what, Friday, Friday, Luke. Friday, we don't have to wear listen, pants. We can bring our family on the show. It's whatever, right? Listen, we were not giving an exhaustive review of all the best KOs. We were coming up with it off the top of our heads, Dingleberries. So, yes, could there have been a better list? Of course there could have been. But it wasn't like that was our edited, like you and I sat down with a pen and paper and made a list. And then, oh, you know what? What about Askren and Masvidal? Let's scratch that one off. We didn't do that shit. We were just ad-libbing. 
<laughs> All right, here's what I was dead wrong on this week. A couple times I mentioned Lomachenko having that really fun fight with Jorge Linares in which he got dropped. I had made reference that it went the distance. Somebody jumped in with a YouTube comment here to send me straight. Do we have that or are we not going to shout this guy out? Where are we at? There, we, no, I don't know. Okay. It was, a, it was they're right. The, the guy jumped in. He sent me to hell. It was a 10th round TKO in which Linares got dropped. It looked like he could get up, Luke. It almost looked like he was just like... No Moschenko, I'm good. You know, it was a fun fight, but that's it. So that did not go the distance. No harm, no foul. I screwed it up. It was the it was the uh, Sniper Pedraza fight right after that did. And one more on Dead Wrong. It's not going to be us. I'm going to spin it back on the people. I made a reference in that solo morning combat video I did this week of the five reasons why I love this Lopez-Lomachenko fight that um, Lomachenko's only pro loss, his second fight, the title fight against against uh, Salido, right? The action hero. Uh, I said, you know, he kind of got robbed on the scorecards. Hey, guys, everyone that came at me this week, it's not dead wrong. You're dead wrong. Lomachenko did get robbed on the score. He got robbed many ways. Look, I'm not saying that's the reason why he lost. The reason why Lomachenko lost that fight ultimately was that he wasn't ready for somebody who could put on the pressure, could fight dirty, could be all up in his ass the whole damn night. Wow, shout out to the little lady here. Uh, he also got screwed on the cards, though. Lawrence Cole, the referee, screwed him with all those dong shots. And, uh, yeah, let's bring on Luke's daughter here, please. Can we get me stop talking about dongs? Come here. Can you say hi? Say hi. <laughs> say hola. Yes. <laughs> can, you say, can you say apple? Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Do you hey, hey Vio. Hey, Vio. How do you like them apples? He's saying, how do you like apples? Te gusta manzanas? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Because Vio, I got a number. Yeah, there we go. All right. Uh, Viole, say, uh, say bye, Pipi. Bye, Pipi. Yeah. <laughs> say, Brian, you're a puto. <laughs> she tried. This is my daughter, everyone. This is Violetta. Look at that smile. Say, oh, watch this. Here we go. Uh, Brian, you ready for this one? Take a, take a look at her face. Ready? Yes. Sonrisa. Yeah. That means smile in Spanish. Okay, and she wants to see ducks on the YouTube. So there you go. Okay. We're going we're gonna to say bye-bye, okay? Ciao. <laughs> ciao. Can you say ciao? Can you say ciao? Hey, Vio, oh, no, go, grab, go grab Abuela for me, Vio. I got some things okay. to ask her. She's in Colombia. Here we go. All right, Luke, that'll wrap up That's Dead it. Wrong this week. Uh, Sorry, I'm here. Live show. The live show. But you know what? It's you. Fr- it's like, and now my cat is in here. Here, want to see my cat? Hang on. I do, I do. What's this cat's name, Luke, since we're just off the rails, apparently? Here. Yeah, we were just completely fucking done. It's Friday. This is Moco. Oh, you know yeah. Why he's called, Look at that guy. Do you, know why he's, do you know why he's called Moco? No. Because Moco means booger in Spanish. And if you look at his nose, he has a black spot on it. <laughs> My cat, my cat's name is Booger. <laughs> my wife was like, seriously? Fucking Moco? That's what we're going to call the fucking cat? Moco? Uh, yes. I yes. was like, yes, because the gringos won't know, and everyone else who does will be like, seriously, Moco? In serio? If you, if you guys have more children and you have twin girls by any chance the next time, would you consider, Luke, I got two names for you. Ready? Valentina Antonina as the Thomas twin. <laughs> No, I think we'd probably pass on that. I think we'd probably pass on that. All right. Uh, all right. Anything else we're dead wrong about or not? 
No, that's it. That's it. That shit's over. All right. With that in mind, it's time before we do our last segment. We have to do tip to tip, BC. We were calling it just the tip last week, but we're going to go back to what the animation is. Tip to tip. That's where we just give you, you know, some advice, uh, something to look out for, a lesson, a, a, you know, a suggestion. BC, what do you have yeah, Luke, for uh, tip to why tip? Why don't you go first this week, Luke? Okay, you got a producer credit. Why don't you go first? All right, fair enough. Uh, in today's version of Tip to Tip, this was not something I thought I'd be recommending, except I have now encountered a number of people that when I bring up this thing, they have never heard of it. Now, in some states, you may not have heard of it because you don't need it, but depending on where you live, this will be extremely handy. Namely, there is an alcohol delivery service. It is called Drizzly, D-R-I-Z-L-Y. I believe they have a website, but that's not what I use. On my Samsung Galaxy Note uh, S20 Ultra, I get the app. I have a Drizzly app, and what it does is it's like Uber Eats. You punch it open, and you're like, hey, I'd like to order. Uh, actually, I don't know if you can order malt liquor through there, but let's say you wanted a, I don't know, a, 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 a keg of beer, but maybe something more general. You wanted some Jack Daniels. You fire up the search. And it will tell you all the liquor stores that have it and in what quantity you order it, and it will deliver it to you. If you want something local, it's even got like a little local piece on there where you can be like, I want local beer, I want local this, I want local that. It's very, very handy. Usually get your stuff within, for me, and I live in the nation's capital, I still get it in 20 to 30 minutes. A little bit of an upcharge on it, but you're paying for the convenience, so okay, you know, use it sparingly. But I got to tell you, if you're looking for alcohol delivery and you're, if you're a degenerate like me, that is a very important thing uh, in this COVID era. Drizzly. Two thumbs What's up. What's the delivery guy. times like, Luke? Well, it depends where you order from. So let's say you punched in what you would punch in, right? Smirnoff ice. Something to really get those balls sagging. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would tell you what, who had it in what quantities and how far away they are, how long it would take. So you can match it. And it matches next to your address. Obviously, they have to know where to drop it off. Um, but I have found them to be very, very reliable. If it says 30 minutes, it'll take 30. If they say an hour, trust them, it'll take an hour. Very, very good service. All what right. That's a good tip, Luke. Just the tip. Thank you. Just for a second. All right. Here's my tip of the week. Uh, look, I got I to gotta come clean on something. I feel like I've been harboring a secret for a long time. It, it My wife's been saying I'm going through a midlife crisis. It's time for me to come real and, and essentially come out of the closet on this, Luke. Um I've been a music snob my whole life, okay? Uh, you know, I had a 100-disc CD changer in my first apartment with massive speakers. I used to judge people by what music they listened to. The same way you hold this badge on your chest of the hardcore abortion rock, uh, you know, premeditation <laughs> of mass shooting music. Uh, you know, I felt the same way with, you know, classic rock. While I certainly love dad rock and indie rock today, I'm a classic rock guy, right? I'm stones. I'm, I'm all that stuff. Hey, guys, why don't we just put the reveal down on the bottom before I even get to it. That's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, Luke, you know what? I'm going through a midlife crisis now. I'm buying Your tip vinyl. is worthless. You're gi I'm giving them how to get alcohol sent via the magic of your phone, and you're telling these fuckers about Land of Confusion? What is wrong no, with you? No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Here we go. Um, so I got this vinyl addiction now, and it's one of the best things that ever happened to me, and it's like a drug. Yeah, it costs more than drugs. But I got four speakers all around this office. All I do is listen to vinyl. And after acquiring some dead people's record collections, Luke, I never thought I'd be this guy. Maybe it's being 42 with gray hair and, and weird, but um, Genesis really bangs, Luke. And I know it's lame 70s prog rock, 
I can't stop. It's amazing. It's so good. Look, Foxtrot bangs. I'm sorry, all right? Uh, three sides live, it bangs. It really does. Look, even Duke, after Peter Gabriel left, it's really damn good. And you know what? The spinoff solo ones, Peter Gabriel 1 and 2, good God, the first Phil Collins, it's awesome. I feel like I'm telling you, Luke, that I prefer it from the back end, and I don't care what you think about me. 70s prog rock, even the Genesis transferring into pop. I'm sorry. I'm 42 and I love Phil Collins. What the hell are you going to do with that information? I don't care, Luke. This is who I am right now. This is who I've become. Genesis bangs. It really does. I'm sorry. It really does. Here is how you know you have totally given up as a human being. This is what you... This is For folks who are younger than us, and there's probably many of you, not everyone, but many of you, let me explain to you how cool works. Cool is a time in your life. Typically 18 to 34. It can extend either before or after, but that's the window, is 18 to 34, okay? And what happens during that window is you are in touch with what everyone else who is also in that window understands as the best practices, how to dress your hair, what to say, what to, you know, what to wear, what to listen to, what to eat, how to look. That's what cool is. As you get further and further outside that bubble, you stop... A, understanding what cool is, but then pining for it. And then you get to the stage Brian is in, which is not only are you outside the stage of cool, you no longer pine for it. You have gone full in. There's no such thing as a guilty pleasure anymore because I've got old balls and I'm past the point of caring what (laughs) anyone else has to say about the things that matter in my life. It doesn't even matter. Your claims of him being uncool uh, talk about falling on deaf ears. It doesn't so my, ring true to him. So my tip is this week is, you know, I was always, you know, the Stone Zeppelin guy. I didn't have time for yacht rock, jazz rock, art rock, prog rock, uh, anything. Dude, I'm in now. I'm sorry. It's so good. Do you know what I did yesterday, Luke? Do you know what I did? I found a lady on Facebook who was selling you know, even deeper albums in the Genesis catalog. I met her like a, like it was a drug deal outside of her house. We did the pit. I came home. Do you know the first thing I did? You know the first damn thing I did, Luke? I grabbed this this piece of business here from Phil Collins. I jacked the four speakers up to really high volume, and I was boom, 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 boom. Luke, I can feel it coming in, 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 in here tonight, okay? It was awesome. I don't care who knows. I open the windows and let the people have it, okay? This is who I am. God. This is not so much a tip as it is a cry for help. <laughs> there's, there's BC's Friday cry for help. Someone send the ambulance because my old boy is in need. Jesus Christ. All right, well. There you have My it, heart's going boom, boom, boom. Come on. It's so good. Yeah. Woo. Get some edibles All right, BC. We have one more segment here. It's where we do our uh, Friday review. I fucked this up on Monday by not telling people they had to do this. But if you're an MMA fan of all of recent time, chances are you've probably seen this movie. Hell, even if you aren't an MMA fan, chances are you've seen this movie. It's time for, uh, well, it's time for a discussion about Warrior. BC. This movie came out by Lionsgate in 2011, starring Joel Edgerton, Tom Hardy, Nick Nolte. I think first we should give our scores and then talk about why we gave our scores. What do you well, say about that? Apparently, this is the new trend in the show. I usually have these great, you know, 
prepared statements and we just like to give it away right in the beginning here. Luke, I just want to say this. Um, I can't believe I hadn't seen this movie. And I had heard, by the way, you know, both sides of people saying, oh, this movie sucks, it blows. And people like my dad going, hey, did you see this movie? It's like Rocky for cage fighting. I also worked with John Anik and Rashad Evans on MMA Live back in the day, sitting right next to them when they were, you know, going off to film this and I hadn't seen it. So I'm glad that the people picked it this week, Luke. I came in because you had told me this, full disclosure. You had said, oh, you never saw that, BC? Well, here's the deal. I hate it, but you're probably going to love it. So, Luke, I came in thinking like, oh, God, you know, I, I came in ready to hate it. Because I'm like, no, Luke thinks this is for my old ass, my Genesis listening to ass. F him. I'm going to find out and tell him how bad it is, all right? That I'm more of a man than he thinks I am. Luke, three quarters of the way through, let's say right up until the point that the Sparta tournament started, like the first round of the Sparta tournament. You remember where we are in the movie at that point, right? Yes. Where the principal is on his couch going, he did it, he did it. At that point, Luke, I had a little tear forming in my eye. And I'm like, this is awesome. This movie's like a 10 out of 10. I don't care who knows. I love Peter Gabriel. That's really what I was thinking in that moment. Dude, it went down the cliff from that point on. I'm not here to say that you were necessarily wrong. Wrong. I would love to hear your score, please. All right. Look, you flash my score on the screen here, and I'll explain why I came to the conclusion that I did. Let's see it. Let's have the big reveal. Six. Six out of ten right. is what I'm going to okay. give. Okay. I can respect right. that. Here's why. Because no matter your view of the movie, did you like it? Did you not? Was it too long? Because it was fucking long. Was it not? Here's one thing you cannot take from this film, and I think no matter what we say after this, BC, I'm guessing you're going to agree. I feel like this is the very easy call. The individual performances from Joel Edgerton, one of the brothers, Tom Hardy, and Nick Nolte, magnificent. They, and the wife. The wife, kind of sneaky, wife was, right? For the wife, that's not my type, but you know, she, wasn't, uh, she didn't have an accent. She wasn't throwing furniture at him, so that's not the kind of women I'm attracted to, but you get the idea. Listen... I think you can agree in all seriousness. Those guys took those roles and whatever it was written on paper from the screenwriters, they took it to another level. In particular, I thought Nick Nolte was just, he really leaned into that character and was every part of it. And, you know, the character was designed to be a little bit pathetic and he was in the way in which I think it was intended, but almost in a way where you couldn't help pitying, but also like being mad at him and also understanding why everyone reviled him, you know, a life's full of regrets and trying to make up for it at the last minute with this almost tangential connection to your own children. Tom Hardy is a beast. He's a total chameleon. He can play virtually every role. I love that about him, including over the top masculine, you know, smash your face in types, right? Semper Fi, brother. Exactly, Semper Fi. Well, he deserted his unit, so fuck him for that. But in other news, you know. <laughs> he uh, saved those people, Luke. He saved those people, all right? He did save them, and then he turned into what we call a blue falcon, which if anyone knows uh, Marine Corps lingo, you'll know what that means. And then lastly, Joel Edgerton. Is that like, a, is that like a prog rock Marine? A blue falcon? <laughs> uh, no, but I bet blue falcons listen to prog rock. But here's the point. Joel Edgerton shows up, and he plays the character that he's supposed to be, like the one who kind of figured it out and got it right, but he couldn't leave his angry and difficult past behind and his existing uh, financial troubles. So I will say Edgerton, amazing. Hardy, amazing. Really, even the side, to your point, Frank Grillo, the trainer to uh, Joel Edgerton's character, I thought he was great in that role as well. 
John Anik, ten out of ten, bro. Anik was good. Here's the problem: when you Kurt look Angle, past the, dude, Kurt Angle's in this movie, Luke. He was no, awesome. But I Kurt Angle him. had he had no dialogue, which is part of the reason why this movie sucked. Uh, I'm going to give it a six, strictly based off of how well those characters uh, were portrayed by those actors. But everything else about this movie is flimsy and shitty. All right, uh, I don't want to talk too long here, BC. I'll just say this, and we can explore no, it in your long, terms. Luke. It's Friday. Talk long, please. Here's the problem. Totally predictable. I mean, what other fucking way was this going to go, right? Uh, number one. Number two, they have these villains in the movie, like the Eric Apple character, Mad Dog, whatever his last name was, and then Koba. They are totally underdeveloped, right? It's ridiculous. Then, on top of it, they try to, like, make it be smarter than it is because the dad is listening to Moby Dick on tape and he's really giving Captain Ahab a talking to when he falls off the wagon and drinks the bottle. Like really over-the-top sappy bullshit. And then at the same time, they're playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which was his last one, Ode to Joy. Frank Grillo is saying shit like, listen to the music. What the fuck does that even mean, Frank? It doesn't mean anything. It's the worst fucking advice Get a haircut, I've ever heard. Frank. Also, oh yeah, get a fucking haircut, Frank. And also, if you know anything about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and I do because it got me through some dark times in my life, that is the one unique symphony in Beethoven's of where, uh, which is he wrote it after he'd become deaf, and he had been in deep despair. And this was him coming out of it. It's also the only one he ever wrote with voices. For folks who may not know that. And Ode oh, to Joy dude, was actually a poem. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. And, 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 and Ode to Joy was actually a poem by another poet that he had brought over. So it's actually just the Ninth Symphony. But it's about nothing that has to do with fighting. In fact, it's the opposite of that shit. And that's his walkout music, is Beethoven's Ode to Joy. And then, just a little side note, BC. You got these Marines all in uniform in one section. First of all, the Marines are not going to do that. They're going to talk shit about you because I know I was in the Marine Corps. They're going to laugh at you if you lose and then, you know, begrudgingly congratulate you if you win because that's the Marine Corps. And then they don't even sing the words of the Marine Corps hymn correctly. They do the cardinal sin, which is we will fight our country's battle. There is no will in the, in the Marine Corps hymn. It's we fight, motherfucker. Not a future tense. We do it now from the fucking shores of Tripoli to every other goddamn place. They even got the fucking words wrong of the Marine Corps hymn. This is like getting Exodus wrong. This is like getting Revelations wrong. How fucking dare you mess that up? You're like, oh, it's one word. It's one word, Luke. It's one word in the Marine Corps hymn that from the first day of boot camp, they tell you, don't put the fucking word will in between we and fight. Just say we fight. They beat your ass over the head with it. Quite literally. They fucking take chairs and smack you over the head like it's backyard pro wrestling. Don't say we will fight. And they said we will fight in the fucking movie. And for that reason, fail. There you go, BC. Wow. Well done. Well done right there. A six from Luke. All right. Um, here's my score. Let's put it up there. We'll reveal it. It's it's actually favorable in the end because of how it's seven point one. And I know that's what you fine. might be thinking. I that's think that's two, fine. That all right. Well, here's here's why. I'm not kidding. At the three quarter mark, I wanted to hate it, but I was like, God, this is like almost like for a male action movie that purposely was grabbing like the spirit of Rocky, a little bit from Hoosiers, a little bit from like every one of these sort of underdog, hard scrabble comeback sports movies that we like. 
And they did it in a way that really, I'm sorry, like it was presented so cool. It was presented without cliche, without being too cliche, I thought. And really the, the key part was that everything they had shown about MMA until the start of that tournament was, was fairly right on. I mean, like it wasn't insulting to it. So I, I was ready to give a little bit of leniency like we do in the Rocky movies. Like if you're a boxing hardcore and you watch the Rocky movie, I mean, look, uh, like there's no chance. I mean, like Rocky, Rocky Balboa and the Drago fight takes like 4,000 unanswered punches and comes back and wins. Like obviously that's movie level boxing. So I was prepared to give leniency for certain things here. I was overwhelmed at the three quarter mark that they got me. There were chills bump scenes. They actually made you care about Nolte's relationship with the kids and lack of and all that and I think they did an amazing job at certain points Luke of teasing without telling you what really happened so you weren't really sure if Tom Hardy was a war hero or if there was something sketchy that led him to act the way he did I also thought for the most part they sort of nailed the 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 roles in a broken family of people that are just sort of unwilling to forgive each other no matter what. I mean, there were so many elements of this entering that tournament that I'm like, okay, it's obvious that we're setting up for brother versus brother. It's obvious that older bro math teacher or whatever is going to have to pull a few upsets, but I'm here. I'm ready. I don't know if if in that moment I gave them too much credit and then when it went south, I was extra angry. But I was extra angry. And here's my main issues, Luke. And, you know, I just told you I suspend disbelief for the Rocky movies. But here's my main issues. The reveal that they're actually brothers, which comes off the reveal, by the way, that Tom Hardy, who we thought for a half hour was a war hero, may not actually be. That's the freaking, like, Luke, I am your father moment of this film. I need to stretch that shit out. I need to hear the announcers and the organizers of Sparta going... Do we really want to put on this final if it's brother versus brother? You know that beach scene earlier of the two brothers trying to talk and have it out? I need that right before the main event when they make it to the final. I need this to be a dilemma. I need Nick Nolte in the middle of that saying, you don't have to fight each other. We could just love each other. And then them going, no, it has to be this way. I need something like that rather than a fast forward right into the final as if nothing's happened. And Brian Callen, who, by the way, actually did a pretty damn good, almost like poor man's Joe Rogan meets the good parts about Mike Goldberg type of role. Um, he not, was Not many just, of those. He just haphazardly was like, oh, we've come to find out that they're actually brothers and his name isn't Reardon. It's like, dude, that's a monster reveal in this moment. So that pissed me the hell off. But what put it over the top, Luke, was the final two rounds. So Tommy Reardon's character, like this is a state regulated event, right? Like this is a, this is like they, they acknowledge that the UFC exists. This movie came out in 2011, but we're, yeah. we're led to believe that this tournament is essentially like the best of the best middleweights in the world who aren't in UFC. That's sort of what I'm believing. And at that time you got strike force. There's still things going on in Japan. I could believe you could get a good ass tournament there. So what I'm saying is Tommy Reardon goes out for the championship bout without a trainer, without a cut man. And then he badly dislocates his shoulder in, like, round three. Look, they let him go out there for two more rounds with his arm dragging. No commission member comes in there between rounds and is like, hey, man, I don't know if you should continue. Can you give me, like, and maybe you're saying, dude, it's a blood and guts movie, but they sort of presented this tournament as legit. That completely turned me off uh, on that level. And then I started critiquing and picking really even more when they pissed me off there, Luke. I believe that I could have bu- I could have given this movie like almost like a 9.7 and really been on it if it had come out. Tell me if I'm wrong here. 
if it had come out in 2005, if it had come out in 2000, if it had come out in 1997, I do believe it's hard to hard to fathom that the two brothers with such little experience, and I know the, the physics teacher brother, they, they said had fought in the UFC before, but we learned from the wife that it went disastrously, ended up in the hospital. So he's like a washed out pro fighter. You're going to tell me on like two weeks notice after a couple of fights in a bar that he's going to be able to upset Anthony Johnson, who did a decent job in that role, Nate Marquardt, and then go in there against Kurt Angle, who's being presented as middleweight Fedor. And look, they did a decent job presenting that fight, but like that was a bridge too far. And while I like Tommy Reardon's badass, no theme music, no post-fight interview element there, I mean, he just destroyed people. He's not a pro fighter, Luke. He's a Marine badass, sure. He had a good amateur wrestling career. I know Brock Lesnar walked through with just the amateur wrestling career and became a UFC champion. But two upset stories of that nature and their brothers. Ah. And finally, yeah, they Luke, tried to do they tried to do at the simultaneously too little and too much at the same time. Like here's the it, other part it, about it. It's like Tommy's character was interesting. Again, I thought. I thought that uh, Tom Hardy did an amazing job. But it's like, how fucking old are you? You move to the West Coast and then the Northwest of America, and you don't even tell your brother, who, by the way, did nothing wrong, that the mother has cancer. What are you, in 10th grade, and you're 16, and you're mad at the fucking world? And that's why you didn't tell your brother? Like, this is supposed to be, like, I get being mad at the dad because he was a drunk and he beat the fuck out of you. Like, there was one line where he said, you know, it's, oh, it must be kind of hard to find a woman who could take a punch these days, right? I remember that. That was actually a good line. I was like, wow, he must have had a fucked up background. But then you're after the brother, too, and you didn't even tell him because why? He was disloyal because he married a girl and didn't want a shit life. I mean, you know, you got the emotional maturity of a 14-year-old. I couldn't sign on to that at all. So, no, straight up. And what I'm really saying about that last rant was if that had happened in 2000 in the MMA scene where we were, you could almost believe that somebody could kind of walk on the street the sport hadn't yet evolved and oh he knows some jujitsu he used to be a pro fighter years ago. okay that's fine and even badass tommy reardon i mean look in early ufc days if you were just a badass brawler you might win some but luke you're telling me they show up for the press conference and neither of them are watching any tv and media they're not looking over <laughs> who i might have to fight and they just go oh my brother's in this like come on yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's another one that was like, wow, they've not really thought this through. I thought the action for MMA was like good, not great. Good. Certainly the best. It was better than David Mamet's like stupid ass red belt. Okay, it's, it, you know, we can give it and that. Did you know there were there were a lot of ex fighters that played those roles? That yeah, I didn't you had know you of. had you had a Rumble in there. You had Nate Marquardt. You had some other ones. But like the funny part, I did. Jukau was in there. Juan Carnero. But like yeah. the other part about it was like you know everyone gets redemption in the end. Right? Teacher gets redeemed because he starts to cheer. Kids become fans of their own teacher. The teacher gets redemption. Tommy surrenders to the demons that have held him back, both metaphorically and literally, BC, when he taps out in the main event. The dad proves that he wants to be a part of their life. Everybody gets to say, wow, at the end, didn't I do good? It's like, motherfucker, that is not how these broken lives go. Someone would have had to double-cross the other one, and they would still be a shithead, and you had to give it up on them, and blah, blah, blah. Like, no one comes out of this all. This movie just laundered everybody. It just made but everybody I don't okay. Think it's, I don't think it's stained MMA, which is important, even That's though fine. it was, you know, 
and I do think that they were very ambitious. They were trying to make a Rocky movie, and I'll give them credit that they they actually came pretty damn close. And once again, as you said, those performances from the two brothers to the dad, like there were some top shelf performances put in. So you know what? It was an entertaining watch. Seven point one. There you go. Thank you, people. Thank you. Listen, it was it got went on too long, and it's fine if you want to say it's okay. But these people being like, it's the new Rocky. No, Creed is the new Rocky. Sorry, hate to tell you that. It's not the air. And that was the other part, too. It's like, oh, Fitzies, it ain't Fitzies anymore. I'm like, bitch, they are not putting MMA gyms where boxing gyms used to be. <laughs> like, I get the symbolism. Like, it's the new fight sport that everyone cares about. It's like, dude, that's, you got the, the MMA gyms are in the suburbs. You know, they're not downtown fucking steel mill Pittsburgh, but okay, there you go. Fucking sucked. We fight our country's battles. Matt. We will. All right. Very good. Uh, BC had a long week. We should remind folks. Oh, we have one more segment to look at. Not uh, to do, but that Justin Gaethje interview. I believe we have one more of these. Are we going to play that now? And if so, I think it's where he reminds everyone of his mental state that he is not going to go to. If you guys want to. Yeah, we should. We should let this clip take us out. Right, Luke? Uh, well, do you, we got We have to sign off and everything first. You want to do it when we sign? Gaff, do we want to do it when we sign out? Okay, yeah, very good. So with that, now. with that in mind, okay, let's do all the lowers. If you want to follow us on social, we could put that up. You can check us out on Insta. You can check us out on Twitter. Morning Combat across all three, of course, with a K. Thumbs up on the video. Subscribe if you like this and you want a whole lot more. And why wouldn't you? Morning Combat at gmail.com. Submissions for Dead Wrong, you want to reach out to the show, you want to send me and Brian a bunch of money over PayPal, that's going to be the place to do it, morningcombat at gmail.com. Uh, also, BC... I kind of look like Des some... Berry. I kind of look like Des Berry in this hat, right? Our, our super a little fan bit. We, we have some beautiful merch. You're wearing it. I'm wearing it, as you can see here. Let's take a look. Very good. You can go to store.show.com. It's available right now. Uh, appreciate that when everyone buys it, especially when you're overseas. And of course, if you want to try Showtime, do it. Go to Showtime.com right now. 30-day free trial. You like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go be a loser on your own time. BC, we have a very busy weekend. Plenty of coverage headed everyone's way. Catch us on CBS Sports HQ for before the fights, after the fights. Tons of analysis coming your way. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you, can expend, you can expect a morning combat uh, instant analysis from myself on the uh, Lomachenko fight as well Saturday night. So be, look out the, be on the lookout at that early Sunday as well. All right. And uh, without further ado, this Justin Gaethje interview should be up very soon. To take us out, uh, may all your gains be loyal. And here's another clip. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Great chatting with you, sir. All right. I promise you guys I ain't going out like no bitch. I we, we, we believe you, Justin. We believe you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Later, boys.